Knoxville Tower, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, taxi via Alpha Taxiway. No delay, wind 2004, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, clear for takeoff, traffic 3 mile final. Read back correct, tower for taxi, have a good flight. Welcome to From the Runway Up. I'm Becky. And I'm Caitlin. And we work in the Public Relations Department at McGee Tyson Airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. We understand that going behind the scenes in an airport these days isn't as easy as it used to be. So that's where this podcast comes in. Each episode, we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look of current events at our airport and in the aviation industry as a whole. So fasten your safety belts and join us on this aviation adventure. Hello from the Runway Up listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. We're really excited about the content that we have to share with you today. We are going to be speaking with Zoo Knoxville. It is a wonderful resource that we have in our community. And it is something that uh, draws people from all over the Southeast to come to because of the unique animals and species that they have on display. And it's a really well known zoo for its work in reptiles. So whenever you think of the zoo, you know, you might think of all of the species that they have. But what we're going to talk about today is actually how the zoo utilizes McGee Tyson Airport, whether they are transporting animals back and forth from zoos or whether they're helping with conservation issues around the world. It's real interesting. Some of the stories they'll share with us today about how they use the airport to be able to really maintain the zoo and help to populate endangered species. You know, shipping cargo isn't really something that people initially think of when they think of airports. So I'm really excited to talk about the zoo. So we are going to speak with Lisa New. She is the president and CEO of Zoo Knoxville. So Lisa, thank you so much for talking with us today. Can you give our listeners just a brief overview of the history of Zoo Knoxville? Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. The zoo has just come off its 70th year. So we've been a part of our community for a really, really long time. And we treasure that role. Also, our 70th year was a record breaker for us. We broke 500,000 people in attendance. And that's, wow. the, that's the fourth year in a row that we've had a record-breaking attendance. So what a perfect way to celebrate 70 to have another record-breaking year and welcome 512,000 people wow. through the gates. So well, yeah, it's, and it's I been know, a great year. I know that family come in, they come just to see the zoo, you know, especially if they have little ones and they, they want to have that experience. Not very many communities have a zoo so well put together and preserved as ours and offer such a an array of different types of exhibits and animal experiences. And so it is something that really stands out in our area, if not our region of the country, mm-hmm. because it's such a, a great place to come. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And especially the fact that we have people who come in, family and friends from outside the zoo. One thing that's unique about Zoo Knoxville, and it's probably our location on I-40 and near 75 is that we have a very large base of our guests or tourists, almost 50%, or over 50%. And that's unique for a community zoo. Locals love us, but we literally get guests from all over the country. And and that is really important to the city of Knoxville and Knox County and the region uh, because that makes us a major driver for economic development and tourism. 
Absolutely. And we're sitting here by one of your newer exhibits. So can you talk a little bit about the new exhibits that you have and then some newer exhibits to come? Sure. What we're sitting beside is Gibbon Trails and Langer Landing, and we opened that in March of 2018. Those two exhibits together won USA Today's top 10 exhibits in the country. Wow. Um, So we're really proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it is part of about a five-acre complex that is the Boyd Family Asian Trek. So last year in 2017, we opened Tiger Forest, which also had Asian white nape cranes. And that complex uh, series of exhibits is Boyd Family Asian Trek. And that will be completed actually in March of this year, 2019, with a restaurant component, the Bistro. Oh. Um, and that will be a new cafe that will be part of Boyd Family Asian Trek. And that's an $18 million investment that the zoo, our donors community has put in. And of course, it's paying off with the attendants and guests that are coming and loving it. And then our next big build, we are now in construction document phase with and hope to break ground around July or August. And that is an international reptile and amphibian center and as well as a North American river otter habitat. Guests love our river otters. It's one of my favorite. It is. (laughs) So our intent is to move them up to the zoo's central campus to be more prominently located, as well as an international center for reptiles and amphibians. And that is particularly important for us because we chose that word very deliberately. We are internationally known and recognized for our work with reptiles and particularly tortoises and turtles. And that's probably the most, well, it is the most outdated area, antiquated area of the zoo. And we want a way to showcase that work. And so we're so excited about it. It's a 13,000 square foot indoor facility. I think our community recognizes Zoo Knoxville as having award-winning animal habitats, particularly outdoor habitats. But this will be a very aquarium-like experience. It will be largely indoor, which our campus sorely needs. It'll really, I think, elevate our position in terms of what people recognize as our capabilities and and showcase the programs that we're best known for across the world. Well, and how does a a zoo determine what kind of animals are selected and what exhibits you have in place? We have very well thought out collection plans. And so those collection plans are guided by a matrix, a number of defining sort of decision trees we go through from, do we have the expertise to care for them? Do we have the financial stewardship to look after this species? Do they have guests appeal, all of these sorts of things that factor into what species that we have and what species that we will have down the line. So with the International Reptile and Amphibian Center, we have looked very specifically at each and every habitat. And largely we look at species that we know there's a program with. And by that, I mean, there is a population in our collective zoos and aquariums that make that population part of a bigger conservation focus. So again, it's not a reptile. I was just talking about, for instance, red pandas. Red pandas are in our collection. They meet all the right criteria of being a species that we work with. But instead of you know, the eight or nine red pandas that we have here at the zoo, the North American or and South American population collectively is about 
300 or so animals, and that's a program. We're part of something bigger. We're, you know, each of those species are part of a bigger program that's geared specifically toward that individual species and managing them over a long time. So if there's just a few of those animals, a handful, maybe they're a phase-out population, maybe we don't have the resources as an overall zoo industry to support them, then they wouldn't be one we chose, if that made sense. Yeah. Because we know that, well, we may have them for five years or ten years, but after that one's gone, what are we going to do? So we make sure that there's an active conservation program. Long-winded answer, but... A little bit goes into choosing the animals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very, very deliberate. It's not just, oh, they're cute and they're around. Yeah. You know, they have to be part of a larger program. And you mentioned the red pandas, and I believe I read a few years back about how they are part of that conservation effort, and they travel to help continue to grow that population, and that's something that the airport plays a role in is transporting those animals between different zoos, yeah. not only for loaning them for display, but also for their conservation efforts. Right. You know, that's where the airline industry and the relationship we have at McGee-Tawson is so imperative. And red pandas are the perfect example of a conservation program that is nice and neat and tidy. And I can explain that by saying there's certain aspects of their biology that make them the model program for these species survival plan programs. First of all, they're they're small, you know, they're mm-hmm. about the size of a mid-sized dog or mm-hmm. a great big house cat. They fit nicely into your typical pet kennel. And in terms of their biology, they're seasonal breeders. So they come into estrus and have breeding season and early in the winter of the year they have a six-month gestation so they have their babies in june-ish july and then we do population planning in august or september and then the animals move around october november so all across the country pandas are moving around this time um, through airports and things and then they go to their respective zoo and they go through their quarantine make sure that they're disease free and then they're out and ready to breed with their new mate right in time for that breeding season again so they are a nice clean program and really a great example of how the airport helps make that happen it gets a lot more complicated when it's a social animal like a gorilla or a chimpanzee or African wall. And there's a lot of other factors that come into play. What's their relationship? Who's their auntie? Is their grandmother in the group? And all that kind of complicates it. (laughs) But pandas are perfect and really... McGee Tyson's been a hand-in-hand partner with our panda success. So do you all typically use Delta Cargo whenever you are shipping the red pandas? We do, yeah. Delta Cargo, we've used other carriers too, but that works great. There's been certain high-profile situations where we've had cubs that are in high need that are coming to us from other institutions that they've actually ridden in the plane with us. For pandas, we'll use just a standard pet kit will privatize it so that the panda feels safe and secure. They've got a water bowl in there. They've got biscuits. You all probably are aware there's international guidelines and requirements for shipping animals. So we meet all of those. It's very safe. And, you know, we have the other institution is waiting there to receive the animal. So it all works out really nice. But what's nice for us is having an airport our size as we start to know the staff. The staff trust us. We know exactly where to go. 
go. We don't have a lot of hassle to get there. And the staff at McGee Tyson go out of their way because they know that we're part of something bigger and there's precious cargo and, and they really make sure that customer service is key. So you mentioned turtles earlier. Can you talk about how you utilized the airport whenever there was that crisis in Madagascar with the turtles? Yeah, back earlier in the year, and it's happened actually even more recently, but earlier in 2018, we learned that there had been a massive confiscation of radiated tortoises. It's a certain species of tortoise, and they had been captured for the illicit wildlife trade. There were 11,000 of them in a house. They were literally crawling all over each other, just deplorable conditions. A lot of our conservation work is focused on Malagasy tortoises. Um, And our herpetology staff um, has direct ties to that species in Madagascar. So we were notified of that and we were part of the first crisis response team that went there to care for those animals. So the Malagasy people and authorities there were overwhelmed by the number and how to care for them and they just needed help. And so we very quickly were able to have one of our staff members respond. And of course, their first leg out was through McGee Tyson. And then subsequently, we sent our veterinarian. So we sent two teams to Madagascar to take care of that. And those animals, there were several hundred that were lost through that, but it's still an ongoing effort to be sure that they're cared for. They can't just be re-released. It's a whole process. And so how long-term we're going to address that and care for those animals. And then literally just within the past eight weeks, there was yet another confiscation. And I believe those numbers were six or 7,000. Oh um, same animals, um, same species, same wow. country. People don't realize that illicit wildlife trade is such a lucrative business, but it is really fueled by organized crime and is right in the top five guns, drugs, human trafficking, wildlife trafficking. And wow. it is that lucrative of a business and run by those same types of organized criminals. And they often are looking at wildlife trafficking as profitable because it doesn't tend to carry as steep of penalties as the others. It's a real problem. And turtles and tortoises are particularly vulnerable to it because they're cute, they're beautiful. Some of the more endangered ones are ancient Chinese medicines and things that make them a target, but also collectors across the world that want the rarest, the you know, most endangered, whatever. So we actually have uh, four plowshare tortoises here that are from Madagascar that were confiscated that are among the most endangered animals on the planet and certainly the most endangered species here at our zoo. And they only came here because of our known expertise in managing those species. You don't think about that. No. And it's such a shame that you get called in and travel to these places, but it's not like you can bring them all back to your zoo and take care of them. Right. And it's your expertise that gets called in to try to save as many as possible. Right. And to be able to quickly respond, you know, by having an airport so close and so easily accessible is frankly what makes that possible. You know, I have Mm -hmm. to hop in a car and drive forever or, you know, there's to me a lot of convenience and charm to an airport our size. So now that we've heard a little bit from Lisa and the stories that she has in regards to utilizing the airport for transportation, let's hear from Adam and a very special guest, Einstein. 
This is Einstein. She's our African gray parrot here at the zoo. And she's learned a lot of different sounds and phrases, and we're going to go run through some of those for her. Einstein, can you say hi? Hello. That's nice. Can you be a little more polite? Hey, sweetheart. Hey, sweetheart. That's very good. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, Einstein. Are you famous? Superstar. Yeah, she's our <laughs> local superstar. Now let's go over some fun sounds that you kind of scared some people with on the airplane. <laughs> yeah. Einstein, are we in trouble? <laughs> yeah, we sure are. <laughs> And then you saw a spaceship. It was shooting lasers, making everyone scream. Oh, my. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> what an evil laugh. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the plane started taking off, and you went, ah. Ah. There we go. <laughs> Very good. And then you did some animal sounds, too, I think. Can you do a red wolf? Ow. How about an owl? <laughs> and a chimpanzee? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> wow. What'd you do for a peanut? <laughs> yeah, I get very excited. <laughs> She's a Tennessee bird, isn't she? Oh, yeah. Einstein, you're proud to be from Tennessee. <laughs> very yeah. good. Good job. <laughs> a little yeehaw there. She just plows right through those, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, that beak's very good at doing that. There's a little bit of power behind that beak. So special. <laughs> yeah, your, so your beak is special. <laughs> yeah, but if you bit, that would hurt. Ow, ow, ow. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and uh, he's on the plane. We might have heard a baby cry. Can you cry like a baby? <laughs> oh, very good. Einstein, can you fall down? <laughs> oh, a little splat there at the end. <laughs> You know, I do remember distinctly that we had a naughty and nice list um, oh, yeah. for Santa for Christmas, and she was on the naughty list. She what? Was. Yep. Einstein, what are you? A bad bird. Because she's a bad bird. Oh. She's a bad oh, bird. She's... Yeah. <laughs> Einstein, you want to sing? Can you sing? Yeah. How about some opera? Figaro, very good. <laughs> So, Adam, tell us about your experience with her. How long has she been here? How long does it take to train her to do those kinds of things? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. As far as how long it takes to train a bird and to train Einstein, it, it really depends on the bird, and it depends on the trainer. So if you've got somebody that's, that's worked with her before, Einstein has learned how to learn. So she picks up on things really fast, and then we can attach them to those cues. So right now we've got her learning a new, a new sound, and it's like this sick cough. And so to get her to do that, I will prompt it, and then she will actually mimic me uh, making that sound, and she knows that I'm going to give her a seed. So I'll go... <coughs> Very oh, that's good! good. <laughs> Yeah, and so when we want to get that on a cue word, so you notice when I ask her to do things like, are you famous? Superstar. Yeah, she says superstar when I say the word famous. And so if I want to get that on cue, that coughing sound, I'll then start saying a word, like say sick, and then I'll go. (coughs) (coughs) Very good. (laughs) Pretty soon she'll start jumping the gun. She'll realize, oh, he said the word sick. He's going to make this coughing sound now, so I'm going to go ahead and beat him to the punch and go ahead and do that sound. So that's how Einstein learns her sounds and her vocalizations. Um, And sometimes she'll learn something new within a day. Maybe it'll take a week, a couple months. It just just depends on 
how easy that sound is for her to make. And if it's fun, she likes to have fun. So if it's a fun sound, that's why she does all the animal sounds and screams and sirens. Because, you know, it's all the things that are annoying to us people, right? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> she's kind of <laughs> like a child. So Einstein's been here um, since the early 1990s. She is 31, going to be 32 years old. Wow. In April. Yeah. She looks great. She does look great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, parrots can live a long time. And a lot of time people don't realize that. Uh, Einstein here, we hope that she'll live to be uh, to the ripe old age of 60. Larger macaw species can live to be even older, 70, 80 years of age. Yeah. Well, and she's nationally known, so you take her all over internationally the place. Known. Internationally, internationally known. known. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how about her travels and and what she's done as a superstar. Exactly. Well, she's been on several different TV shows and talk shows, and if it's close enough for us to drive, um, then we'll drive in the car. But sometimes they're just too far away. Like when we did America's Got Talent, we had to fly up to Newark, New Jersey to film for that. And so we had to fly out of the airport there. And so she has a special travel crate that will actually fit right underneath the seat. She can actually ride up there in the cabin with us. Since she's an African gray, these guys like to vocalize a lot. And so if they hear a lot of commotion going on, that kind of encourages them to make sounds too. They want to be loud just like everybody else. So when we were, when we were on, the, on the plane headed to Newark, she was sitting there and I'd already heard her making some whistles and saying some words. Not too strange for people, right? They, they might just think that that's a, somebody on the plane doing that. The plane started to back up, started to taxi to the, to the runway. She started making this beep. Beep, beep, beep. She was doing the, this, this the backup, backup sound, so it's like she knew that she was backing up on the airplane. Uh, so that was funny. Well, uh, so we, we get going, and uh, uh, we get out onto the runway, and the person that is sitting in the seat right in front of her, so she's actually slid underneath uh, the seat in her, her travel crate there, that lady was already a little nervous about the flight. Uh, I, I guess she, she wasn't too happy about flying that day. As soon as the pilot hit the throttle and we took off down the runway, Einstein goes, ah! <laughs> and made that lady jump. We had to tell her, no, no, it's okay. It's just a bird. We've got to... And, she, and for whatever reason, that seemed to help. It startled her. But once we told her, no, you've got a bird sitting underneath you, uh, she got really excited. Um, and and then, you uh, didn't prompt her to <laughs> scream like no, that. No, no, that, that, we did not prompt her. That was, that was all her. So That was her having yeah, fun on an airplane. Her having fun. <laughs> yep, doing the, the siren, the police car siren or the ambulance siren. I'm not sure which one that is that she's picked up on, but uh, she's heard that. Um, so she's making all kinds of sounds on that trip on the airplane. So needless to say, it was a, it was a fun trip. <laughs> so how did America's Got Talent go? Um, so uh, we kind of did a bit. A lot of times they like to get just some animal acts on there. And so we, uh, we had Einstein kind of go and do that. Wasn't really in the plans to actually move on to the next trip, but it was just fun to kind of get her out there and have a little bit of exposure, especially for the zoo. So yeah, um, and tell all the places that Einstein has um, oh, yeah. has been. So she's uh, been out to California. She flew out there. Um, what show was out in California? Well, she but, uh, I know that she introduced Al Gore at the yeah, TED conference. At the TED conference, um, she's so, been to a TED conference. She's she been sure to did. a TED conference. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Since she's a Tennessee bird, it seemed like it was absolutely fitting. So the pet show, she pet star, pet yeah, star with Mario Lopez, and then she's been on some late night talk shows. Yeah, she did the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Yeah. yeah. Was on Montel, if you guys remember uh, Montel and his yep. talk show. 
he got really excited. He got to feed her a peanut, and she got really excited and said, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Inside Edition. Recently, we were on uh, that new CMT talk show, Pickler and Ben. Yeah. Kelly absolutely loved her, especially since she kind of had a little bit of a southern accent herself. So <laughs> yeah. For her saying, hey, sweetheart, you know, that really. <laughs> was she on Good Morning America? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think Good Morning yeah. America yeah. as well. You name it. Wow. You know, she's. She's a She's celebrity. Yeah. 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 She might be the most celebrity we've ever had on our podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, she's certainly the cutest. Yes, yes. Yeah. And most well behaved. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever you take her on these shows, you just kind of pick what you want her to to do. Yeah, so um she has over 70 vocalizations on cue, um, which means that I can ask her to make a specific sound, and most of the time she'll make it for me. Now, uh, every now and then, as you guys saw, she likes to give me a hard time, and she's like, you know what? I don't want to make that sound. I want to do this one instead. So we have to be quick on our feet as her trainer, just kind of take it in stride and make it work with the dialogue that we're doing. So not only is it a challenge for her, it's a challenge for us sometimes to do that, but it makes it a lot of fun. We never know what's going to happen or what, or what she's going to say. I go in there with a plan. And she usually inevitably changes that plan. But it's a lot of fun. Like a real diva. (laughs) Like a real diva. We we, we roll with it. Um, And what makes Einstein so special is that she's not necessarily, you know, the only smart African gray paired out there. African grays are known for their high intelligence. Uh, Research suggests that they have the mental capacity of a five-year-old child. You know, they can recognize shapes and colors and... uh, and make those types of early associations um, that we see with our human children. What also makes Einstein very special is that she's a bird that doesn't get startled easily. So if you've ever encountered a bird out in the wild, you try to walk up to it, what happens? It runs off. It, it takes off. off. It yeah. flies off, right? Unless it's a Canada goose and it might chase after you. That's a different story. <laughs> yeah. Most birds Bad fly bird. away. Yeah, <laughs> <Bad bird. laughs> yeah Einstein thinks that's, that's funny. funny. <laughs> You're going to start laughing with everybody now? part of the conversation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We like to tell jokes. (laughs) But yeah, birds tend to fly away from us um, and get startled easily. But Einstein has learned to be comfortable on a car ride, in a new place, in front of cameras, bright lights, on an airplane. And so that's what at really ball makes... stadiums. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah we've, uh, we've done the halftime show at uh, Thompson Bowling Arena for some of the basketball games. And so she's been in front of, you know, hundreds and then upwards of over 20,000 people at those ball games. So, I mean, she's just learned to be very comfortable and uh, very accepting of those situations. And not all birds do that. She's also extraordinary with the number of words in her vocabulary, though. I mean, African greys are known to be mimicking parrots and to have that. But gosh, I mean, she is is really extraordinary, which is as part of what's made her famous. Yeah. Einstein, do you agree? Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So whenever you take her to these places, she just sits on your hand? Yeah, she'll sit on my hand. Or as you saw, she was kind of climbing around the table here. We also have what we call perching. So it's a little piece of wood that's attached to what we've modified from a uh, microphone stand that she can sit on so that we can kind of just have her hanging out, sitting on the perch or sitting on hand. So, yep. You know, Adam, one thing we talked about earlier was the problems that zoos are responding to with the 
illicit wildlife trade. And mm-hmm. African gray parrots are an animal that is part of the illicit wildlife trade. And they're also available as pets. You know, this amazing sound, this amazing ability that you guys are seeing here with Einstein is what has been the demise of African grays out in the wild in their natural uh, habitat. Since the 1980s, there's been over a million African greys taken from the wild and sold into the illegal pet trade. And so because of that, we've seen their populations just decimated. So they've actually been uplisted within the past couple years to an endangered species because of the rate at which they're disappearing. And this is mostly due to trapping for the pet trade. The United States and Europe and a few other areas have bans where you can't import wild-caught birds. And so that's one way the United States helps with that is that they will not allow, customs will not allow these wild-caught birds to enter the states. So birds that you see in zoos and hopefully in the pet stores, if they're not smuggled in, have been hatched and raised right here in the United States. So if you're interested in being a bird owner and having a bird as a pet, the first thing I'm going to encourage you guys to do is to maybe reconsider. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these guys are like, I told you, they have the mental capacity of a five-year-old child. So it's like taking care of a child and probably for the rest of your life because they're long-lived animals. But if you do your research and you decide that the parrot is the right pet for you, um, you want that lifetime commitment, then what I encourage you to do is maybe adopt a parrot from an adoption agency. It's one of the biggest plots that's going on in in the United States. States right now is parrots in the pet trade. People don't do that research. And once they get a parrot, they realize that they're messy. As you guys can see (laughs) Um, here on the table right now, um, they live a very long time. They're naturally destructive with their beak. They need to chew on things. That beak is continually growing. So they're going to chew on stuff, maybe things that you don't want them to chew on. They can also be really loud. Um, And so people tend to to be like, oh my gosh, this, this is too much. I can't handle this. And so they'll give up their parrot. And so parrots will go through multiple homes four or five homes throughout their lifetime. So if you're interested in in having a a parrot as a pet, then I encourage you guys to to adopt and go to those adoption agencies um, and adopt a parrot. She's just paying attention and looking at you. She looks at you very intently, waiting for the next She's waiting. She's waiting for it. Einstein, why should we help protect all your wild animal friends' homes? They're special. They're all very special. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. You want to blow them a kiss? Oh, that's very sweet. (laughs) What does she say when it's time to go? Einstein, is it time to go? Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Einstein, for being on today's podcast. Yeah, Yeah, we're not the Today Show, but, you know, we're... (laughs) (laughs) Next best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter, big or small. (laughs) (laughs) And then lastly, can you talk a little bit about the trip to California to bring back a tiger? When we were opening Asian Trek, we needed to bring a tiger as part of the species survival plan to us. We had two males here, but we needed a female. And so the species survival plan had recommended this female in Chaffee Zoo out in California to come here. And her name's Aria. She's a gorgeous cat. So our staff went out there and met with the keepers there. And this is very common, especially for animals that we train and that have personalities. And so we have a transition of care from their staff to our staff. So our keepers went out there. They spent time with their keepers, learned Aria's quirks and personality. And then we brought the long haul to bring her back. And FedEx has been a great partner for that in that um, they are one of the few that do animal shipments and allow you to travel with 
the animal as a caregiver and cargo. So, you know, at first we thought, this is no, I mean, we do this every day, right? We ship animals every yeah. day. It's, it's a tiger that's trained to go in a crate. Oh gosh, it's a huge story. I mean, people are fascinated by that. They love those stories. So Aria was loaded up and put in a crate and on the surface, the story ends there, but no, you know, not really. I mean, we had help all along the way. Uh, FedEx staff and the airport staff were phenomenal in just making sure that we had everything we needed to have her transition smoothly. So, you know, the keepers kept eye on her all through the way. She was very calm during transport. I think a time or two she startled or growled or chuffed or something and, and gave the airport and uh, flight staff a little bit of a charge. But, um, <laughs> but by and large, the shipment w- went perfectly. Offloaded her and brought her into the zoo's quarantine. And what's fascinating is just to see how much people love that story and love to hear and see that transition all along the way. And it was nice to be able to tell this story. I mean, otherwise, our only other option, they're too big for Delta Cargo. They're too dangerous for Delta Cargo. You can't put them in the sitting right beside you. You've got a critically endangered animal. And so the only other alternative would have been to haul her by vehicle across the country. And that would have been incredibly stressful. So you cut that amount of time down for staff and the cat. Again, this just interest in it was a little shocking to us. And so we've learned now that we need to be better at telling our stories because people are fascinated to know all that goes into making a zoo work. And you said, oh, you had no idea about the illicit wildlife trade and the things that go on there. I think a lot of people that come to the zoo and they see Aria in her habitat and she's beautiful in her pool and and never realize the amount of expertise and the conservation work that is going on behind the scenes were more than just a fun day for families and friends. There is a purpose to each and every guest coming. I don't think people often realize that. You know, you're coming here to have a great day, but your ticket is sponsoring all of this work that we do. You know, you bring in your family and friends or why we were able to be able to afford to send two staff members to respond in Madagascar and bring Aria here to Zoo Knoxville. Mm -hmm. So how did Aria get from FedEx to the zoo? By truck. So we have a relationship with a distributor for Sprinter vans, those great big vans. Mm -hmm. They have tie-downs. And so she goes from the FedEx plane into a secure vehicle. She has armed escort and then comes from truck to here. And then we never enter space with dangerous animals. And so the crate is secured to the entry door of Aria's habitat or whatever den or bedroom that she's going to. And we open the door and then she comes out in her own due time. I think she exited very quickly. Most tend to, as soon as you open the door, they shoot (laughs) right out. Um, But we've had others who've taken their own sweet time. So we moved a rhino when we were building Tiger Forest. That was the old rhino habitat. And so we had to move our rhinos from 
point A in our zoo to point B in our zoo. Everybody's like, well, how'd you do that? Well, we trained them to go in a crate, and then we put them on a truck, and we moved them from one part of the zoo to the end. And Mondo, he stayed in that crate all day long. <laughs> all day I mean, we had to take lunch breaks, and it was just like, okay, you know, your girlfriends are in there. But um, when he came out, he was fine. But he wasn't, he just wasn't he was, coming. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. ready. So we just weighed him out. <laughs> it's all up to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Transitioning over to talking about cargo is hard to follow when it comes to following Einstein. He's awesome. Just having him in our area and able to entertain everyone is wonderful. He should be the new podcast host. Yeah, he should. <laughs> Maybe we'll bring him back. If you liked him, make sure you visit our website and make sure you want special guests like Einstein in the yeah. future. <laughs> <laughs> but realistically, you know, the zoo is just one group that utilized the cargo operations at McGee Tyson mm-hmm. Airport. And so because of the growth in the overall need for trying to get things to and from people quickly, for example, you've got to have that for Christmas. You Amazon Prime it for two days to get here. <laughs> the only way to really do that is to use air service to be able to do it. And so we really have gone and looked at how things like transporting animals or mm-hmm. getting your favorite pair of jeans from American Eagle all kind of go through the operations at McGee Tyson Airport, but it's nationwide. Just some statistics for you. According to Airlines for America, every day, U.S. airlines transport 50,000 tons of cargo. Wow. I like how they have broken this down. That is like transporting 222 statues of liberty every day. Wow. Um, And then they also say that the items that are being shipped are high-valued, time-sensitive. Like you said, those American Eagle jeans. Yeah, those very (laughs) time-sensitive things to my teenage daughter. Yes. (laughs) But they might be some more important things like, you know, medical equipment or medicine, some of our electronics. So it's it's crazy to think that every day, 50,000 tons of cargo are flying around. One of the things you mentioned was medicine. Isotopes are developed to help with cancer treatments and they have a very short lifespan. And without air travel, they wouldn't be able to get to the destinations they need to get to to treat patients. Um, So there's a lot of uses for cargo in our area. Yeah, it's really cool to break it down to the top five U.S. airports by cargo volume. I mean, this is in 2016. We have Memphis, which is our neighbor, because they have a huge FedEx operation there. Yes, just a point in fact. FedEx operates a fleet of 670 aircraft generally, and they do over 27 billion tons of... Billion with a B. Billion with a B of transportation of cargo throughout the country, even the world. Wow. So... That's at Memphis, and then we have Anchorage, and that makes sense because everything has to be shipped to Alaska. Right. We also have Louisville, which is interesting, LAX, and then Miami. Yeah, it makes me want to go out and find out what is going on in Louisville. I think it's the horses. It horse. might be the horses. Yeah, I think it yeah. is. So Don't it's really, quote us on that. Yeah. But. So <laughs> it might be. Tune in later, and we'll Check see if we can find out. our show notes, and we'll tell you why Louisville is the top five U.S. airports for cargo. So it can play a, a big role in a lot of operations. To be specific to McGee Tyson Airport, last year uh, we did 86,137,000 pounds of cargo through our airport. Wow. It, and that is carried on FedEx and UPS, which you generally think about. But the airlines also have cargo if they have room on their airplane to bring the cargo in. So as you can imagine, whether you're transporting a tiger from California or going to help with... Uh, endangered species turtle mm-hmm. that is in 
Madagascar. Madagascar, or you're taking Einstein to its next <laughs> appearance, or you're just trying to get someone a pair of jeans, mm-hmm. cargo plays a critical role in airport operations. It really does. And I really like that we were able to speak with Zoo Knoxville to hear their stories about how they have used cargo. But that's just one company that uses cargo. Like you mentioned, the 86 million pounds that have been shipped out of Miggy Tyson Airport. It just shows how important and critical the cargo operation really is to our community. For our next episode, we are going to focus on love here at Miggy Tyson Airport for Valentine's Day. Yes. So we're going to talk to people who have used Miggy Tyson Airport as the setting for their proposal or their engagement. Yeah. So, and there's actually a few of them. So I'm really excited to hear why they chose the airport and, and how that went. So stay tuned for that episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out our show notes. We are going to feature some of Einstein's videos where he was on some of those TV shows that we mentioned. So we're going to do that and we'll link to some other statistical information about cargo. Yeah, be sure to check that out. And then we hope that you'll tune in again next month.